world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be! So I don't know. I'm I'm just happy X Men has been doing really well, and I part of me is constantly dreading, constantly, and by and by constantly, which I've said three times now, I really mean uh you know once every three weeks when I think about X Men. But <laughs> I dread them going back to the status quo pre Dawn of X. They may never do. I hope they never do. I really it, it, hope they yeah. I expect them to, but it'd be better if they found some new spot for the X-Men in you know the comics here. I do not expect them to go back. Because of all the superhero teams, I feel like the X-Men is the one that has most consistently evolved. Like when they change, they never go back. Mm-hmm. I think the closest they've ever done to really like returning to a status quo. Uh, Joss Whedon, when Whedon took the X-Men back and turned them back into superheroes after Grant Morrison. Mm-hmm. And we read some of that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's the closest it's ever gotten. Yeah. I just, yeah, and I hope they never do. And I think you're right. I think the reception to it has been so good. And I think it's really opened up a lot of writing possibilities. But I am still very much afraid that one day... They will end. There'll be some event called like, I don't know, X Regenesis or some crap like that. <laughs> and and I don't know. Maybe you'll like Kid Omega tears a hole in the X Men fabric, and the only way to to save it is by resuscitating or by melding old Charles Xavier with the current one and forcing them to go back. That is, I want to throw up just from saying that sentence, but. <laughs> It, it seems perfectly plausible, which is, yeah, it, nauseating. It does. It does. I, and I hate it. And like that's kind of my, my worry is because they've done so much really cool stuff with them. They're so outside of like what they used to be and like what a lot of Marvel is that it would just be the biggest shame to just return them back to just another, you know, hero team. Granted, I don't know what's actually happening in X-Men right now, but it sounds dope AF. Yeah, it's that's been my that, and I wanted to read the entire Jason Aaron Thor run. Those that's like I, I keep putting it off, and now it's becoming more like homework, and I'm forgetting that. No, no, this is going to be awesome. This is a good thing you want to read. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's, I would, yeah. I would do my homework if it had like an um, an army of Valkyries raining down from Asgard <laughs> to attack a bunch of Asgard or not Asgard Exxon nuclear yeah. bombs. <laughs> You never get that in calculus. You know, it's funny that you mentioned Valkyrie. Ugh. Because, mm-hmm. oh. you know, we read a story that had Valkyrie in it today. Did it? Did, Did it? it? <laughs> Did it? Of a sort. <laughs> it's like... This is the Superhuman Registration <laughs> Podcast. We're here to talk about Ultimates 2. Electric That's like Boogaloo. saying, like, we're... we're set, no, it's not Electric Boogaloo. It's Back in the Habit. <laughs> it's... <laughs> This time it's personal. I was going through because I was like, no, we say Electric Boogaloo too much for the part two, just because it sounds really good and I, it's hard to not say it. So what's a better yeah. subtitle for a second movie? And that was, yeah. 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 Too ultimate, too furious. <laughs> yeah. Saying that this comic has Valkyrie in it is like saying, yeah, yeah, we have Dr. Pepper and it's actually like Dr. Thunder. It's not even Mr. Pib. It's Dr. <laughs> Thunder. It's like... It's like the $2 out of the machine behind the sketchy Walmart brand of soda, you know. It's Civilian Peters. It's not even Mr. Pibb. It's just, it's just Civilian. <laughs> I feel like my experience with Ultimates has been... I don't, I don't want to be mean. You should be. Yeah. Okay, it's it's been unimpressive. Yeah. My problem with the Ultimates, and I'll obviously I'll get more into detail once we're actually in the real discussion of this. My problem with the Ultimates as a whole, really, 
except Miles Morales, because that's the standout, is I like the concept. I like the ideas. But when you get into the actual reading and writing of it, oh boy, there's a lot of... That's a lot of a lot of a lot of ultimates. Just like in general, not just this book, but like in general, feels like character betrayal. It feels like you want to write about these these characters, but like you don't like you you don't actually like the characters. So you're trying to make the mm. character what you think would be cool, but that doesn't really work out, does it? Unless you write the boys or Invincible. <laughs> anyway, I'm Steven. We've got John, we've got Aldo, we're ready to go, so I should, I think we should just do the summary of Ultimates 2. Might as well, yeah. Ultimates 2 is a continuation of the Ultimates, which are the Ultimate Universe version of the Avengers. The story is written by Mark Millar, with art by Brian Hitch, Paul Neary, and Laura Martin, or Martin, it's hard to tell sometimes. Uh, this is the, you know, alternate universe version of the Ultimates where Captain America is a kind of reactionary Bush era conservative. Uh, Thor is a bleeding heart liberal hippie and Tony Stark is the same, except he was created by Orson Scott Card. (laughs) So interesting psychological baggage there. The... Story follows a lot of different plot beats. There is this ongoing sort of tension between Hank Pym, who has been ousted from the Ultimates, and S.H.I.E.L.D. Pym keeps trying to ingratiate himself with them, keeps trying to get back into their good graces, isn't able to, and kind of slinks off in in shame. Because Pym is out of the picture, Janet... Van Dyne, the Wasp, is now dating Steve Rogers, who white-knighted her real good in Ultimates 1. Steve is still, you know, the young, strapping, handsome version of your really, really, really racist grandpa. <laughs> Tony Stark is still, you know, alcoholic freeloader, although he is thinking of settling down a little bit. He's found himself really attracted to the Black Widow, and the two of them are... Uh, Thinking about getting married, Iron Man makes her a suit of fancy armor. We've got Hawkeye, who is still kind of this trigger-happy nihilist, although this story reveals that Hawkeye has a family, which is nice. I feel like it informs the Jeremy Renner portrayal of the character in the movies. Um, There's some pretty nice moments there. But the big thing, I think, that really kicks the story off is the Hulk is put on trial. For all of the mayhem and the destruction that he caused during the events of Ultimates 1. The trial goes very poorly against him. And so he is apparently executed. Trapped on an island and blown up with a big bomb. The Ultimates have this still kind of ongoing tension. Now that the Hulk's kind of been taken care of. They turn their attention next to Thor. Thor has quit the team. Because he has seen their sort of international presence growing and he is concerned that they're going to be used for extra legal international operations that he thinks they're going to be a tool of American imperialism. And he starts. It's not like there's a history of that at all. No. No. No, it's a completely just bananas conspiracy theory on the part of Thor. Bananas being the most reasonable fruit. (laughs) anyway Thor has been accused of being a mole of leaking information on the Ultimates and he denies that it's true he claims that it's Loki his evil brother but in this version of the Ultimates it's not actually entirely clear that Thor himself is Asgardian so nobody believes him and the Ultimates are sent to take down Thor with you know prejudice there's a lot of violence that's uh, actually a pretty compelling fight sequence, I want to say, in issue five, where they finally bring Thor to heal and they imprison him, they take away his hammer, they take away his belt, the source of his powers, and he's just completely overcome. Captain America, meanwhile, then gets framed for the murder of Hawkeye's family. It's a really gruesome graphic sequence where Hawkeye's family is murdered. And Steve Rogers is, is kind of set up for it. Rogers is taken into custody. The Ultimates are 
basically completely devastated. And then another team of, of quote-unquote heroes shows up. It's the this group that's been kind of behind all of the Ultimates' recent trials, led by, in disguise, Loki. And there are all of these characters that are have, you know, Marvel, mainline Marvel Universe counterparts, the Crimson Dynamo and Swarm and and so on. The the rest of the villains roster I don't think is super interesting. However, it's at this point that we learn who is the true double agent. Member of the Ultimates has been leaking information, has been kind of setting them up for failure. Turns out it's the Black Widow. Black Widow has kind of retained her Russian loyalties. Uh, Vladimir Putin gets name dropped in here, which was jarring uh, <laughs> to to read. Was it was it as was it as jarring as like actual real life and still living President George Bush appearing in here? Also, uh, Democratic Senate Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi and oh, yeah. oh geez, just like. It's it's frustrating how many political figures from 2006 are still major players. It's just very frustrating. Anyway, so the ultimates have been scattered. That it looks like they're on the brink of defeat. And then you know the heroes have their big comeback. Captain America breaks out from Shield custody. Thor breaks out from Shield custody after apparently Odin intervenes. It's still a little bit ambiguous, but the the Norse gods show up. Turns out Bruce Banner is still alive, and the Hulk comes out and helps save the day. Hank Pym has been working with the invading supervillains, but he changes sides at the last minute when he sees the tide is turning. Pym is such a weasel in these books. And then, yeah, the day is saved and the heroes get to be all heroic again. There's a lot to talk about. There are a lot of little individual plot beats. I skipped over Hank Pym's stint with the Defenders, which is one of the most embarrassing freaking things I've ever read. But in general... What did you guys think? Oh, just a masterpiece start to finish. <laughs> <laughs> I I was like upset with this book and upset that there was a time when like I wouldn't have caught all the things that I caught this time. I would have been like, "Yep, totally fine." And reading it now is like, "How how did this go to print?" Like the the you know things that are just in here, and an aside that doesn't really matter. So Mark Millar also wrote uh, Civil War, and in it, um, Johnny Storm name drops a bunch of people like Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, and like you know people where it's like, oh, it's a big name actress or or whatever the heck, uh, uh, an heiress. I don't know. Uh, and, and Tony Stark does that too, and that dates it so badly. And any kind of pop culture reference really does, and that really bothers me. But it's also like, oh, this just is like now it's just a signal like, oh, this is the kind of guy that Tony Stark is or, or Johnny Storm in Civil War. Like they just, you know, they're just I don't, tramping it up. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I just, I, yeah. Um, a lot of this book just, just sucks. It just sucks. You know what? I I don't want to say I liked this book because I didn't. Except I kind of did. There were a couple of parts that I really really liked, and I, I there's a lot of stuff that I hated, and we're definitely going to rip into it all. But I want to I before we get into any of that, the trial of the Hulk. And the execution of the Hulk, like that, those sections, and the stuff with Thor, those two bits, might be the best things I think I've ever read from Dark from Mark Millar. I liked, I genuinely liked them. There is still the Ultimates universe. I think is just really, really ugly. But there were aspects of this book, and I, I, I particularly comes in in those two sections where I think. It almost feels like Millar and team were grappling with the realization that the Bush era politics, you know, the things that they were kind of going to bat for in Ultimates 1, the the sort of American jingoism, ultranationalism stuff, wasn't panning out. And you get the sense that, you know, when they're all attacking Thor, when Thor is criticizing them and, and getting after them for, for their shortcomings. Like they're kind of feeling it. 
And it's, I don't know, there's, there's, there are these moments when it's just, oh, maybe they're actually going to learn a dang thing from it. And then the whole thing kind of chickens out and restores status quo. And no, the ultimates are actually good and blah. But I don't know, there are moments, just there's these little flashes in here where it's like, oh my gosh, they almost get it. I, it still felt like, because you want your heroes to be on the right side of history, and you want your heroes to, if they start the book in the wrong, that they realize and they come around to, you know, the right. And it, ah, it still felt like, you know, like Crimson Dynamo was the leader of like the other, the, the bad guys, right? And he was Middle Eastern, and there were just page after page of, you know, Captain America just fighting him, just slapping him around. And it was just, it felt like... We were still in that era and still in that, no, like that nationalism, like, you know, we, no, we, we were attacked and we, we need to like give it to him. Who's them? Uh, everybody else, you know, um, you know, pick a spot, pick a spot on the map with names you can't pronounce and it's okay because it's not America and how dare anyone even, you know, approach us or, you know, they, they, there's no chance that anybody else has a better way of doing things or better ideas than we do and, yeah, it, I mean, maybe th- th- like that was a way of addressing like, hey, with the you know tides are turning here, but I f- it still felt very much in the vein of you know imperialism, nationalism, I, you know, the whole thing just kind of still ugh, had an icky. And to like Stephen's point, I think the part that feels even more emblematic of that problem, right, of the almost getting it but not, is in Captain's fight with the Colonel who is, like, the Middle Eastern Captain America, right, that they're using to kind of lead, who has, like, the really yes. cool saber staff thing. And he defeats him, right? Or, you know, Captain America is nearly defeated and then turns the tide and, you know, actually defeats him. And he starts kind of doing, like, this little micro-speech where he's like, do you not even want to hear why we're doing this or, like, what set this off? Before he stabs him in the chest and leaves him for dead in a fountain. Yeah, and, yeah, that made me mad. Yeah, and I think that's really emblematic of the whole. They almost get it, but they don't. I don't know if they don't or they just don't want to. And it just kind of has that cynicism. Yeah. So here's my my. I'm going to suggest that it's actually the latter. They do get it, but they don't want to get it. And I think the evidence for it is actually in that scene, because. Captain America killing his, his you know, anti-imperialist counterpart that he kind of helped create through his, his actions as a, you know, rogue military force in the Middle East, you know, that whole thing. Like, you do not get the sense that Cap killing the man was a heroic action. It's not framed as a heroic action. It's framed as kind of a horrible action. But that's it. There is no further unpacking of it. There's no further exploration of why this happened. It's just Cap did a bad thing, but it was necessary because you have to defend America. And that's where the book kind of stops. It's like, yes, this ugly stuff happens, but it's necessary. And it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because it could have gone so much. It could have gone different. I think it's difficult to understand today without like the righteous anger of the time, you know, where of course he's going to kill the bad guy, you know, if you don't kill him today, he's going to, you know, come back again. Yeah, of course, you know, he, he just straight up kills him. But now we're like, hey, maybe listen to him, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> do we want to move on Deep to sexism or do we still have a lot of racism to cover? <laughs> I mean, we definitely can cover. You you know what? Two thousands era was so bad. Just this is such a bad era of comics. I didn't realize it when I was younger, but you you were absolutely right. This is a conservative Captain America, and I hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I, you know, the whole love triangle between Wasp, Hank Pym, and Captain. It's not great. Like, it's really not, right? Like, she never formally gets a divorce. So she's technically cheating on Hank Pym, like, from a legal standpoint, right? Publicly dating Captain America. And then she kind of cheats on Captain America, or is kind of planning on it, maybe. We don't really know. When she starts... She cheats emotionally, I think. When she starts, like, you know, talking to, to Hank again. 
So that whole thing isn't great, but I do, I feel like you kind of empathize a little bit with the Wasp in her complaints about Steve. And I, you know, I think on a smaller scale point of view thing, like that's, I think, I don't think she was wrong to like have problems with the relationship. I think how anything else in that relationship is handled is terrible, but I feel like that's about as much empathy as I have, as I can have for her. Or really those three in this book. It's really hard to empathize with anybody in this book, with maybe the exception of Bruce Banner. Thor. Oh, Thor. Thor yeah. as well, yeah, yeah. Thor. Thor too. Yeah. Thor is Thor remains the best part of the Ultimates. He does. I don't even I don't even think it's close. I agree that Banner has his moments. He's still pretty unlikable. Mm-hmm. But his he has his moments. So <clears throat> speaking of unlikable, I think it's the end of the first issue. When they kind of reveal that, like that's when the information comes out about the Hulk's involvement with the Ultimates and and how that he was like responsible for all that destruction. It's Bruce Banner. There's this the the final image is this full page splash of Bruce Banner watching TV and he's surprised and he's spitting out his sandwich and it's one of the ugliest things I've ever seen. Yeah, and I don't want to say it's ugly in the sense that you know it's bad art because it's not bad art. Uh, it's, it's technically, it's very good art. You know, Brian Hitch is doing a good job with depicting these things. It's just, there are all these moments throughout the whole book where these big splash pages of the most ugly, off-putting poses and expressions. And why did they do that? Yeah. I just, oh gosh, sorry. I was trying to emphasize the positive here and I got sidetracked by Bruce Banner's uh, ABC sandwich. Blah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Valkyrie and Hellcat just being eye candy. Um, Ant-Man being naked. You Ant-Man's the Defenders, uh, again. like the Defenders in general. <laughs> yeah, the Defenders in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ant-Man's whole thing, like, you know, he got caught on the news, like, you know, up the butt shot, like, <laughs> front page of the news. It was like, oh, okay, this is fine, all right. Like, I get the need maybe to um, reset um, this team that came together in the, what, the 70s with characters from the 40s. Um, sure. And that's in a, you know an interesting take, and and I'm not complaining about. I don't like Fury in this book, um, but I love Samuel L. Jackson as Fury. So there's that, which they've now brought into the you know main universe. Fine, no complaints about right. that. Um, it is it does kind of bug when it's okay. That's just to draw. That's just Patrick Stewart, like that shot of him in a wheelchair coming down the hallway. That's just you're just lifting that directly from. You know the Brian Singer X Men movies. Oh, okay, fine. Um, you know it's there's a lot of that. There's um, I don't know. I think like the art was fine, but also sometimes it was like, hey, that's just like Brad Pitt is just you know, Thor is Brad Pitt right now. Like that. That's just you know a screen grab from one of his movies, and like that. And they even like reference him as you know like oh Thor, he's like Brad Pitt with a hammer or whatever. Um, I don't know, there's just a lot of little things that, like, kind of irked me the whole time I was reading it, to the point where I, like, I was distracted by the, oh, who's the traitor in their midst? Oh, what could be going on? You know, that could have been an interesting story, but so much of it just wasn't sitting right with me that, you know, it was was a distraction. It was, you know, and then on top of that, you know, okay, I'm familiar with all these characters in the regular universe as you read this Ultimates comic. How are they going to shake things up, and is it interesting enough, or is it just like, but what if, you know, so-and-so was blank, you know? Um, so there's a lot working against the Ultimates when I read them, Is you know, it, I feel like it's cheating just to be like, oh, we're going to just give you your character you love, but a little different. And can we, can we talk about um, why on earth Pietro and Wanda are like in this, like, Euro trash incestuous relationship. Like, what's that about? I why is that? In, why is that a thing? Why is it in there? I do not understand. It feels like baby's first edgy comic. <laughs> like everything about Ultimates yeah. is just very. It, it it's trying very hard to be 
shocking and confrontational, but it does so in really like the most obvious way every time. Mm-hmm. Thor, you know, is is saying something that's kind of unbelievable. And when Steve Rogers won't listen to him, Thor says, well, this is at least as reli- as believable as your religion. Like, oh, religion is sometimes goofy, and let's make fun of that for a little bit. You've got Pietro and Wanda who are slightly creepy, and it's like, oh, they're not just creepy, they're incestuous. Okay, you've got the butler. Oh, he's actually a, a hateful old gay man. I really hated the way that they handled Jarvis here. Yeah, he had nothing positive to say. Like, he was just like... Like, I don't like Jarvis in, in <laughs> general. Jarvis uh-huh. is, like, the... You know, we have Alfred Pennyworth at home. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. But, but there are moments, there are things that happen with Jarvis. Like he flirts with Aunt May and they kind of like go out for a bit in, I think actually around this era in the mainstream Marvel universe. That's kind of cute. He, you know, defends the Avengers home with like a broom and he's, he's, I don't necessarily like him, but he's still, like, part of the team, part of the family of the Avengers in the mainstream Marvel continuity. And that's cool. Like, that's fine. Here, he is, you know, this very, I think, just awful stereotype of a gay man who gets treated very horribly. You talked about sexism. How about homophobia? Yeah. Just, it's really awful. And it's not just you know, from other characters, the story treats him awfully like this, this awful old gay man. And I hate it. I hate it. Uh, what was I talking about before I got off on that tangent? This book is making me so mad. I can't see straight. There, there's a lot. Ant-Man asking, you know, asking, uh, in the first issue, the first issue, stop me short. When Ant-Man asks, um, Bruce Banner, if his um, Ant-Man outfit makes him look retarded. And I was like, why? Whoa! You can't... Nope. No. You can't... No. And it really bugs me because I... I've talked about this. I think I've actually talked about this on the podcast before. We have, you know, a friend who used to come and watch us do improv comedy. Uh, young man has Down syndrome. And is just and in one of the sweetest people you will ever meet in your life. One of the nicest, sweetest people and one of the best people to have yeah. in your audience when you're trying to do a comedy show. Because comedy shows, you need momentum and you need energy and you're not going to get it. Or you can get it from you know your, other, your fellow comedians, your fellow performers. But really, it comes from the audience. If they are picking up what you are putting out there and sending it back to you, you're going to have a good show. And if they're not, you cannot have a good show. You get someone as cheerful and as warm-hearted as Cameron in that audience, and that energy wave will never stop. You will always, like, you'll always have a good show. Unless somebody on stage decides to use the R word. Kills the energy dead immediately. Immediately. Because Cameron knows what that word means. He knows who it's about, and it hurts him, and he stops laughing. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, that word, I have such a visceral response to it now just because I've seen how much it hurts people. Yeah. And and so, don't use that word, yeah. Mark. Mark, don't use that word. You're better than this. I did not write it. I did not. Hi, Mark. <laughs> hi, Mark. <laughs> hi, Mark Millar. <laughs> well, hi, Mark Millar. <laughs> Paint Marvel writer. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's not great. There's not, I mean, not an egregious amount of slurs, but there are like quite a few insults that also kind of take you out of it. Like when, like when Jarvis is killed, right? And she's like, "Oh yeah, he was just a curmudgeonly old queen." And it's like, "Oh come on, you have to work for Tony Stark." Like. <laughs> Anybody would be curmudgeoning after that. Who, who wouldn't be? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because he's pretty so, awful to him, and Tony is the worst in this. Tony saying how much he loves Natasha because she's basically him with boobs. It, that, that like, was like, what, like, this would have been, <laughs> this, like, this is something Barney Stinson maybe could say, but also shouldn't have said, but you've put it in a comic, <laughs> and it's, it, ugh. 
talking about things that like you can't really go back and watch too by the way is like that's you realize like oh everyone on here sucks except uh, Jason Siegel like their characters are yeah. all hey kids jerks. you want to you want to listen to me talk for 6 seasons about how I was trying to bang your aunt Mhm mhm <laughs> Yeah uh so so some of the stuff I do want to say I guess the positive things is that I think again I was saying this pre-recording is that from a high level concept I like what the Ultimates universe is trying to do, right? Like, it's trying to be a little bit more grounded. It's trying to do the social-political commentary about, you know, the United States as, as a superpower here, quite literally as a superhero power, and how other countries are reacting to it. You also have a lot of, like, the real-life consequences of, like, the Hulk killing people in the, tri- in the triple digits. You know, the, the real, uh, you know, well, supposedly in one book, but then immediately you know, rewind the real world consequences of beating your wife. Yeah. So like, there's a lot of really cool stuff that I think, you know, if you pitched it to me, I would say, yeah, the ultimates too, the ultimates. Yeah, let's do it. Like, it sounds really interesting, but when you get right down to it, I think the thing I hate the most is how much, and like Steven said, how much of it, it feels like baby's first edge book. Because part of the problem here is it feels like the writers or the, you know, the creative team in general, including the editors and everything, how much it feels like they don't actually like these characters, right? It feels like, hey, you know, you know what would be cool about Captain America? If he was like actually old timey and a jerk and real conservative and just did not stop complaining about women's clothing. Yeah. And just a lot of things like that, right? And so that's the part that that bugs me the most about the ultimates and I don't, I don't know. I don't really want to be super reactionary. I actually hated that. They have a dedication to Stan and Jack at the end where they're like with love to Stan and Jack. And it's like, really? Cause it feels like you hate everything they made. Yeah, it really does. It's a comic in need of deconstruction. I think. So you've got all of these characters and they are superheroes in a world approximating the real world. The violence is super dark and, and grim. The sex is super, you know, unsexy and awkward. And, you know, people's vices are blown up to 11. In some ways, it's actually very similar to Watchmen. Except in Watchmen, all of that is done for a purpose and that purpose is to fully deconstruct the superhero myth to say look if things like this really existed it wouldn't be awesome ultimates kind of takes the grittiness the edginess of watchmen and says look if superheroes really existed they would be like this and wouldn't that be awesome it misses the point of Watchmen. Like, yeah. you know, everything misses the point of Watchmen. Watchmen misses the point of Watchmen sometimes, depending on who's actually adapting it, mm-hmm. right? I think I think the one... You know, I mentioned that earlier, too, I think, was, like, The Boys and Invincible. And they're not necessarily great deconstructions. I think The Boys tries, the, at least the comic. Um, the show, I think, does a better job at kind of deconstructing the Superman mythos. Or even at this point, kind of the superhuman or the the super soldier uh, serum type thing. I think it does some really good stuff with it every once in a while. It's not consistent. And I feel like this does, you know, like you said, like I don't think this does even look at a job as the boys. And the boys isn't even trying all that hard, it feels sometimes. Actually, is the boys also done by Mark Millar or is that somebody else? Garth Ennis? Can't be Garth Ennis. It is Garth Ennis. But, but anyways, point is, like, it, it's trying to say, do something, I feel like, but it's, it doesn't quite know how to do it, or it's quite not sure where the line is, and by not knowing where the line is, it crosses it without purpose. That's the difference between, yeah, yeah. we're, we're going to be edgy, but this is, look at how edgy we are, not like, there it is, you know. I think Garth Ennis is actually a really good comparison because it it gets thrown around all the time in conversations about comics, but people learned the wrong lesson from Watchmen. Mm. I think it's arguable that Garth Ennis learned the correct lesson from Watchmen. 
I don't particularly like Garth Ennis. I also don't particularly like Watchmen, for the record. I get why people like it, but I've read it a couple of... I'm about due, I think, to read it again to see maybe I'm missing it. Maybe I'm finally old enough and mature enough to read it and appreciate what it's doing. But I don't like my superheroes deconstructed, necessarily. And so I've always struggled with Watchmen. But anyway, I get what it's trying to do. And I think... Garth Ennis also gets that because when I've read his stuff, it's ugly, it's brutal, but that ugliness and brutality is serving a point. It's not done to satisfy some 12-year-old's idea of what is adult and mature and cool. It's done because it suits the sort of story that he's trying to tell. Ultimates doesn't do that. It's gruesome, it's dark, it's gross, and it is that way because that's what people... I guess, wanted from their comics at that time. <laughs> I. It's interesting to see how much of this informed the MCU version of the characters. Right? Because it, it absolutely does. There's a shot where Loki is manipulating Thor. There's a, you know, a panel that felt like a shot from the first Thor movie. Similar storyline. You know, we don't really get his alter ego where he has to like you know realize that he's thor like it was in the comics but we do get you know he loses his powers and he you know people think that he's nuts then we also get hawkeye has a family which i liked i didn't really have any complaints with hawkeye in this not going through with the fine-tooth comb to making sure none of the awful dialogue was his but he uh you know them containing him with the bad guys realizing if he has one hand free and access to a paperclip they're all doomed that was all right oh sorry sorry so super side note on that as gross as it is i absolutely loved him taking down the room full of henchmen with his fingernails Gosh, yeah. that like uh, that it's was gross. It's so that gross. was gross, but it was yeah effective. Like, ooh, this is yeah. serious. Yeah, it was yeah. it was cool, but uh, gross. <laughs> yeah, that there's yeah, certain. I don't know that I loved it, but mm. <laughs> certain things like I don't know what it is like fingernails. Like that's something that I think everyone has like a visceral like kind of reaction to. Like it's not just like we broke your arm and dislocated your shoulder where it's like, oh, that's, you know, it's like we came after your fingernails. It's like, ah, ah. And then him doing that to himself is just oh, wild, you know. Indeed. The, the, the snippets that we got of Hawkeye with his family, I think, yeah, that very much informs the Jeremy Renner take on the character. Maybe more than anything else I have ever read. Yeah. It's close. That's I, I, closer to then, to the uh, fraction and Davidaha run, you know, where he's running right. running a rundown building. You know, yeah, we get some, you know, I mean that obviously that run directly influenced this, but um, more like him him being a family man as well as this like dangerous character that yeah that comes straight out of this. So. And maybe not as much as the MCU, but it does feel like at least. This Hawkeye still has some sort of moral compass, especially in comparison to the rest of the group, excluding Thor, who has the most compass of all the morals. I kind of want to read more Ultimate Thor. Was there an Ultimate Thor? I feel like Thor? I said this last time, too. I don't know. Yeah. I know the character sticks around, mm-hmm. um, but of all the different versions of these characters, again, Thor is the one who's the most compelling. Iron Man is too wrapped up in his pop culture references. Captain America is is too concerned about making sure that women behave themselves this day and age. Oh, gosh. Janet has terrible taste in men. Yes. All of them are bad. I'm sorry. You want to you cut her a break, but it's like, oh, why did you, like, going, going back to Hank, you know? It's like, you, you know how this ends. Hawkeye's single now. Go after him. That's terrible. Cool. That's oh. terrible. Oh, don't do that to oh, me. Oh, gosh. No. <laughs> Hawkeye deserves better. Yeah. Dang it, Aldo. I will say that one of the things that did surprise me when I was doing a little bit of research on this book, because I was I couldn't remember if in Ultimates 1, if they had the definitively or not shown that Thor was a god, right? Because that was a kind of mystery in the first one. It was one. a mystery, yeah. yeah, yeah. It seems like it still is in this one. Not so much. He summons the 
the Valkyries and stuff, and there's a giant ring. Oh, at the at the end, at the end of this, yeah. But I'm saying in the beginning, people are still. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, ninety percent of the book, yeah, it's still a mystery. I will say that I was surprised to know that there was a lot more in between the two Ultimates books. They're not direct sequels. In between Ultimates one and two, there was Ultimate War, Ultimate Six, Ultimate Secret. And I think that's it, because they allude to him fighting Doom at some point. And shortly after that is when he left, after the whole political invasion stuff started happening. But he's having that conversation with Volstagg, and I was like, they didn't fight Doom in Ultimates. So, so yeah, there's a lot more Ultimates in between. I'm not saying we should read them, but I'm just saying... We almost certainly should not. <laughs> but there, yeah. there's, there's quite a bit in between. And, uh, yeah, all that to say, I also, that was also like a really good scene where he's talking to Volstagg. I thought that was really great misdirect, right? Especially not just on him, but for us as the reader, right? Because again, it's still a mystery of whether or not he's actually crazy or not. So the fact that there's a pseudo reveal that he, that Volstagg wasn't there the whole time, that he's been talking to himself in this diner really really set that kind of misdirect and honestly the thor stuff in this book is actually really good kind of like steven was saying yeah that that whole mystery of whether or not he's actually a god up until we get the super in your face reveal at the end is super well done yeah i don't like the explanation for why it's so ambiguous like loki has reality shuffling powers i'd like Mm -hmm. it, it feels a little bit hand wavy unsatisfying as an explanation but yeah the mystery itself is pretty good yeah yeah i also like that there's a russian thor who fights with the hammer and a sickle it i mean it's on the nose but i still <laughs> still like it <laughs> it's also a couple of decades late the soviet union wasn't around anymore no no it was not but it's still super emblematic you know just when you think like you know russia's not the bad guy well the russia is not the bad guy putin is the bad guy um and and name checked like you said Stephen, in this book and you know Remains to this day being a sketchy mm-hmm. dude. Sketchy man, not st- the yeah. The the name drops are, are one thing, but man, seeing actual George Bush that actually took me out of the book. I was like, holy like, oh, crap, is that I was like, is that Harrison? No, that's not Harrison Ford. That's <laughs> that's George Bush. Actual cannibal W Bush. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, because I was kinda not sifting through it, obviously, I was kinda reading a little fast. But like my I think what my brain filled in because it didn't want to accept that that was George Bush. I think it was trying to fill in and trying to do Harrison Ford from Air Force One. Get off my plane! <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get Which, out of my ultimates. As far as movie presidents go, uh, pretty high up on my list. I, I oh I've never seen that, but it's constant. Like in the last couple of years, people have really <laughs> referenced it like a like a tentpole. You know, movie from back in the day, and it's like, yeah, Harrison Ford is a president, and he punches terrorists on Air Force One. Listen, I haven't rewatched that movie in probably <laughs> a decade, but I remember that movie being pretty cool. I also remembered the Ultimates being pretty cool until we reread them. So you know, I don't know what that says. Okay, hold on though. I, I like I want to emphasize uh-huh. this. I've alluded to it a couple of times. Banner's funeral. I legitimately liked it. There were aspects of it that I really, really liked. Steve is reading this like letter, the final thing that Bruce Banner ever wrote. Um, at first, it feels a little bit like silly, where you know Banner says things like scientists aren't supposed to believe in the concept of the afterlife. There's no proof, no empirical data. It's a little bit of that like try-hard edginess again. However, the whole thing ends. With this shot of, you know, Steve standing up in front of the church reading the uh, final words of Bruce Banner to the few people in assembly still. And he says, you know, energy just always changes state. And I refuse to believe that human consciousness is the sole exception to this universal law. Remember me fondly as I'll remember you in all my years. I never had friends so dear. Like, (sighs) 
it's very touching and it feels very much like this hopeful scientist's final words. It's it's the most authentic, most legitimately human thing I think in this whole book. And that's the part I read that and I'm like, "Holy, is this good? Is is Ultimates 2 actually going to be good?" And then they kill the children in the apartment with Hawkeye's. I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah. It's Hawkeye's son gets shot on panel. It's terrible. On the cover of issue three of of um, the series here, they're standing around the Hulk, who seems to be in the electric chair, but they're standing on um, bricks that maybe it's part of a, a memorial, but there are names. Did you see? Did you notice this? There are names on all the bricks. Oh, no, I didn't I notice didn't. that. Yeah. And I can't. I'm not sure if these are not just like, you know, names of people at Marvel or if this is like a recreation of some monument. Um, haven't found an answer online, but there's, yeah, a bunch of names on here. And I didn't recognize any, some last names it looked familiar, but I also like couldn't be sure where they came from just based on a quick like scan of all of them. But yeah, could they, could they just be random names of the civilians he killed? Oof. That you know what? Yeah, I was trying to like that, find real be, world yeah. analog. Like, oh, well, everyone who knows comics should know it's who just, Scott Redness is. <laughs> it's just the entire staff of the Marvel office at the time. <laughs> Ter- terrible place to to be, you know, immortalized would be on the cover of the Ultimates book. But <laughs> well, that's that's why they picked in Civil War. That's why they picked Stamford, Connecticut, for like the big atrocity to happen to kick things off, is because that's where Jeff Loeb was from. He's like, oh, I don't know, it's, use, it's use my place. town. Yeah, it's oh. a real place, Stamford, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah, mystical city or not mystical, <laughs> but uh, fictional city. Yeah, yeah, Kunlun, New England. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a fake place. It's on my list of places to go, guys. Really. Uh, <laughs> The, the autumn foliage is amazing in, in Kunlun, New England. Yeah. You know, it was originally... Oh, my uh, gosh. It was originally, in like, an Asian province. Uh, so, you know, I didn't really have to adhere to, you know, English laws. There you go. Yeah. In, inverse uh, Hong Kong. Inverse Hong Kong. I'm going to tell you this, too. Uh, in that area, Fire Island is a real place. <laughs> oh, it the Fire Island like players a, still there? It sounds like... Oh, see, that's Ember Island. Ember Island players. Oh, yeah, Fire yeah. Island, real place. Ember Island, no. I really want to take one of those cruises that takes you to Krakoa right on the way to Hawaii. <laughs> For a second there, I was like, no, no, let him get to the punchline. <laughs> I was like, what? No. <laughs> no, there's no good punchline. No, it's just a continuation. <laughs> well, if there's no punchline, maybe we should rank this. Yeah. And I. I'm going to be interested to see what happens because I was thinking, huh, this has a like a bunch of objectionable stuff in it that makes me kind of like, you know. Um, and so that dings it down the list. But also, you know, there's enough like interesting stuff maybe to redeem it. I don't know. I would I don't know about redeem, but let's not know. So currently on our list, we have 230 stories. Uh, highest ranking ultimate story is actually at number 10, The Boy Who Would Be Spider-Man, which is the introduction of Miles Morales. The lowest ranking ultimate story is The Ultimates, which is at number 228. Oof. I want to put this at the new number 222. I think it is better. I think the stuff that makes it that I kind of was reacting to the Thor stuff, the Hulk stuff is good enough that it outranks the other ultimate books that we have towards the bottom of the list, which also includes ultimate Wolverine versus Hulk. But I also don't think I ever want to read this again. Heck, I, this might even be a little bit lower than I want. I might even be persuadable to go higher, but I don't think this goes super high at all. I think it stays pretty low on the list. The one of the few one of the few things that like bumps us up above Ultimate One for me is that we see Spider Man for a couple panels and he doesn't do anything bad. <laughs> <laughs> At least they didn't hurt my boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least my boy. 
My boy. You know, we do boy see, came out of this clean. You know, we do have a panel of, of Kitty, uh, you know, destroying somebody's brain by phasing through their head. It's not gruesome, but I can't imagine it's comfortable either. Kitty Pride is not my boy. I don't care what she does. <laughs> I'm just saying, there's a few X-Men in there. She goes about as she pleases. There is, there is like, a shot of uh, Reed Richards. Maybe not brown-nosing. Maybe I'm just, I don't know, inferring a bit much. But it feels like he's brown-nosing a little bit to Tony Stark. Yeah. It's weird. In the Ultimates universe, Reed is younger than Tony. Yeah, which was interesting to me. But also, by that point that that came out, it was, like, too little, too late, man. Like, we're... This sucks, and I'm, I'm, yeah, that's not enough to, like, make me be like, oh, interesting, ooh, how do we do? Um, I, the highest I would put this would be at 208, just below Civil War, because I think Civil War is a, be- a better story without as much, like, you know. But I, I, I agree with Steven. Um, I would put it at 222, because I think there was more stuff I was, you know, enjoying in X-Men Noir versus the stuff that I didn't like about X-Men Noir. Because X-Men Noir is really low, but I also... It's an X-Men book. Well, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, I've, but I'm also worried because I think it's this low because of racism, right? There was some I, I, kind of... That's how I recall it there's as well. A, I think there's quite a bit of eugenics in there. Dang it! Two things. If this was a more Thor-focused book, I think for me it would go a lot higher. And also, if the Defenders were not just a group of, like, I don't know, I kind of want to be harsh, but, like, everybody on the cover is naked. If, yeah. <laughs> if, the, if the Defenders Pieces were not Pieces of just posterior. Like stri- yeah, if they were just, like, stripper ultimates. Yeah. Bootleg stripper ultimates from, like, a Halloween Town store. Because uh, <laughs> I get what they're trying to do with them. And it's not even that funny. Like, it's really not... It's it's not a great joke. Uh, if, like, that just wasn't in there, and this was a more Thor-focused book, I would definitely try and aim this up higher. I think we all would, but... Yeah, I think for what it is, for what we have, and not what it could be, I, f- yeah. I feel like no lessons are learned here. I don't know that Nick Fury necessarily learned anything, or the president. Oh, George Bush definitely didn't know. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. A, not a thing. Captain America certainly didn't, was not open to learning. Ugh, he wouldn't even, that's what I love. In in one second, you know, a five second scene from Winter Soldier, that cap is better than, you know, 13 issues here. Because these issues, he wants to sit at home and complain about women with piercings and listen to Bing Crosby records. And Jan complains about that. And Cap... Cap puts uh, uh, Marvin Gaye on his list of things to catch up on. It's like, that quickly, he's like, new music, huh? I'm into it. All right, I'll put it on my list with my, you know, other things I need to catch up on from the 20th century, you know? and Yeah. yeah. I think for me, what the bigger comparison is, is like uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where mm-hmm. a lot of that final two episodes, or even the final episode, right, is, is Falcon... Telling the centers, like, you have to understand, like, why this is happening. Like, you have to fix this. Like, this is a bigger problem that's not going to go away, even though we've killed, you know, the leader of this terrorist group. Like, we have to understand why people are throwing their lives on the line. You know, like, that's a, not a super, I know it was meant to be, like, a big moment. It didn't come across it, but we're not going to talk about that right now. But I feel like that is more to the point. And like like we said earlier, this it misses it, right? The guy completely offers an explanation. He's like, "Do you want to know why we're doing this? Do you know why we're willing to like risk our lives to fight back against you know the United States superheroes and stuff like that?" And Cap just doesn't want to hear any of it. And I feel like if anybody would want to hear anything about that in this group, it should be Captain, and he just yeah. doesn't care. He becomes the bully, and that's yeah, exactly. Not, that's not who he is. I guess it was wasn't it the Ultimates where he said, "What does the A on my forehead stand for?" Not France. You think this A stands for France? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So right, you know. that's why I hated the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the fact that he doesn't <laughs> make that same joke—it was not even meant to be a joke, uh, at least not to him. Yeah, I think this is maybe just goes up one more from the old old ultimates. 
Uh, I would. I do want to put it a little bit higher. I do. You said, well, you said what? Two, 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 right? I put. I want to put it at two, two, two. That's fine. Above Marvel Zombies two. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. That's where it goes. Yeah, then at least there's no boy. At least there's no eugenics in this one. <laughs> Man, you think that'd be an easier bar to clear, but here we are. So, next time we're in for another treat. Uh, not entirely sure that this is actually going to be a step up from what we just read. That's <laughs> a little harsh. We we should go into this with a more open, optimistic attitude. We're going to read a couple of stories from... <sighs> okay, this first one makes me sad. <laughs> I don't think I've made it much of a secret. Grant Morrison is one of my favorite comics writers. Mm-hmm. We're going to read one of the things that they wrote for Marvel Comics. Oh, right. They... The Fantastic Four series, one, two, three, four. I have not read this. Mm-hmm. However, I am pretty sure that... We are reading this because in our private Discord chat, I sent out the the screen cap of the page where Namor shows up at Sue Storm's door, and she's like, "Namor, oh, I'm married." I, and that comes from this book. I my understanding is it's one of the worst things that Morrison has ever written, and I'm, I'm <laughs> concerned. I um read. I was like, I think we're due for a Fantastic Four story. And I was looking through what's in Marvel Unlimited, and this popped up, and it seemed an interesting way, because each issue is going to be from a perspective of a different character. That seemed interesting to me. And uh, Grant Morrison has popped up on our list a couple of times, but they're not on it a lot. And I know that Steven is a fan, and so I thought we should, you know, that'd be something to work on. And I'm going to apologize ahead of time if it's terrible, because it might be. And uh, I suggested mm-hmm. it, so... Sorry, uh, just trying to, you know, um, get in some new stuff, I guess. Um, yeah. If, if, it, if it makes you feel any better, Stephen, I did look up a list of Grant Morrison's most controversial slash worst books, and this is not on that list. Whew, phew. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so what was the rationale behind the second book, which is the uh, 1955 Black Knight series? It might contain a yeah. racism. <laughs> the, so, Black Knight, we haven't read before, I don't think. He might have popped up as part of like a Captain Britain book, maybe the Dracula one. Um, yes, but Black Knight was in that. That character, Kit Harrington, is playing that character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you don't get somebody who, you know, people have watched for eight seasons or however many of Game of Thrones if you're not going to use him. So I think, like, in preparation for wanting... That's kind of one of my ends to reading comics again, was I want to know what the big, like, oh, moments are on screen, because, you know, I I think, you know, in my heart I'm a movies guy first, and then comics, you know. Forgive me, gentlemen, but that's that's the order of operations here. Um, and yeah, so I get it. I want to know, know what's going on. I want to know what the, the reveals are and be in the know when, you know, those little Easter eggs are dropped. So, and that's one where I was like, all right, uh, he's got a sword. What's that? What's that all about? And yeah, didn't know. So, well, John, as we all know, you also liked Top Gun Maverick, and apparently that means you're the Antichrist. <laughs> this is the hill I die. Hey, <laughs> I, fine. I'm very comfortable on this hill. It got nominated for Best Picture. I get that not a lot of movies came out last year. But surely, like, yeah, just you beca- also get that a, that an Oscar nod is not necessarily the most, the highest praise. I know, but it'd be nice if the movies that got this, this you know, high award that they they give out every year would were also of an equal caliber at least. I mean, and I get that, like, no, it's just the best movies to come out that year. But like, as a narrative, it doesn't like oh piece of crap. It's just a trench run movie. I don't know what you're pumping. The trench run wasn't explained five times throughout (laughs) the course. Uh, It was explained in like one scene 
And and Top Gun Maverick was like, no, 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 no. The mouth breathers that are going to be chomping on the popcorn aren't going to understand it. Let's tell them five times the mission, and let's make sure that everybody knows the stakes. As far as like awards go, I've kind of pivoted. I've started to pivot over to the SAG after awards instead of the Oscars. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they I, don't have nearly as much hype, I guess, unfortunately. But well, everything, everywhere, all at once was winning. Stuff somewhere. Yeah. I think crying. some of those acting, some of those acting awards, people were crying. <laughs> so that was at least like something crazy and new and original and unique, and was you know that's that's good. So. Yeah, Will Smith didn't slap anybody, so you know it's only a step up from whatever that award show was. <laughs> Will Smith don't gotta slap Chris Rock to sell his record, <laughs> but I do. So. <laughs>